Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. Tom Moran here from Tom's Big Spiders to kick this one off. The podcast interview I did with Dylan from Animals at Home is live, and I have to say I'm fairly I'm proud of it, only because when he originally asked me to do it, I jumped at the opportunity. I thought it'd be really cool to kind of talk about tarantulas to people who aren't into them. And my audience is usually people who have some type of interest in keeping tarantulas. And so to know that the entire audience might be folks that have never even given them a look was very enticing to me. Like, can I convince people? And but as I was, we were building up to it, I was starting to freak out because A, when I do my podcast, as everybody's well aware, my house is a madhouse. So even getting those, you know, quiet times are pretty difficult. And I was afraid that, you know, God forbid one of the dogs started barking or we had a helicopter go over or something in the background. I'm not going to be able to edit it out like I normally would because he's taping it live and I didn't want to mess up his whole podcast. And then B, I started worrying that I was going to come across as an inarticulate idiot because I, I he did, he was polite enough to give me like the general questions he'd be asked asking and there were ones I was very familiar with but you never know you get in the heat of the moment you start talking and boy can I talk and so after it was all said and done I was kind of nervous about it and the other day I kind of listened to it because I normally don't I'll listen to my podcast stuff for more stuff in the background things of that nature and with this one I was like really hoping I came across okay and I think I did so hopefully we get some people that are interested and come over and check out our hobby. You know, a lot of the people that he's had on his show are in the reptile hobby and whatnot. Hopefully, some of our tarantula people go over and check out his because I'd love to do something with him again in the future. I mean, we joked at the end of the interview, it, this was after we went off the air, that he would, is interested in one, but his fiance isn't quite keen on getting a tarantula yet. So I'd love for him to get one so we can have him on the show. The dude's incredibly bright, very articulate. Uh, articulate. It was a lot of fun conversing with him and very natural. We got on and there was a bunch of talk before we even started recording. And it was just like two buddies having a chat, which was great because, you know, you never know sometimes with the interview stuff. If you don't jibe with the person, it can be rather torturous. So it went well. Hopefully you guys go over, show him some love, check it out, comment. He's got it up on YouTube as well. Granted, you'll just see my big fat moon face on it because my dog ate my webcam that I purchased literally to do things like this. He chewed it up the week before. And I didn't have time to grab another one, so it's just my static big mug up there. But anyway, it's, you know, go over, say something. I, I would love to connect with them again because I think that's an untapped audience of folks in the reptile hobby. And hopefully some of the folks in the reptile hobbies that are kind of interested in tarantulas will come on over and check out our hobby. Just a lot of cool stuff to be gained from it. So... I will later on probably run excerpts of this. Like next week, I'll probably do an excerpt of it for people who want to hear it. And then eventually we agreed, you know, he told me I could run the whole thing the first shot. Like he's like, you can have the audio and run it on your channel if you want and at the same time. But I really like people go over to check out his stuff because he is really good. Like I've now subscribed to his podcast, which is only about three to I subscribe to. So definitely cool dude. Great podcast. Easy to listen to and ask some really great questions. So definitely go over and show him some love. Now, Moving on for our main podcast topic for today, which I will probably bounce off of. We'll see how long this one takes. But a lot of times I play these by ear because something will happen during the course of the week and it's like, oh, that would make a great podcast topic. And I did have two, well, technically three, not incidences, but interactions that I have that form the impetus for this podcast. So one of the things we're going to be talking about today is bringing tarantulas into your home. And a lot of this will obviously settle around or center around old world species, but generally the populace at large, there are a lot of people out there that see tarantulas as dangerous animals and in some cases, deadly animals. And as we've done, I reviewed a book not too long ago where the person referred to them as deadly and said they can kill you, which we know is malarkey. But something that's come out, A, the first interaction I had 
was actually with the teacher, who's not one I'm particularly fond of, if I'm being honest. And in, in, if that individual listens to the podcast, so be it. But it got out. One of the kids mentioned, have you seen his YouTube videos, which drives me nuts because I, I don't promote that stuff at school. I don't talk about it very much. I mean, obviously, working with high school kids, they find out you got a YouTube channel. There's a potential of chaos. So I try to keep that you know under my belt. But some, some of my students know I've actually had a student come up to me, which was pretty cool, and went, hey, you have a tarantula channel, right? And I went, maybe, and he just kind of laughed and walked away, which I thought was cool. But I don't go into it very much. I don't – A, I don't – I'm not one of these people that socialize with a lot of people I work with. So I don't really want – you know, I don't talk about what goes on at home. B, I recognize the fact that it's going to be seen as a very weird hobby and that a lot of people are going to have a negative reaction to it. And sometimes you just don't feel like dealing with it. And then C, I don't want people watch. I just don't want people watching my YouTube channel I work with. It's just weird. I don't know. And And – People are listening. If anybody else out there has a YouTube channel, I know some people have no problem with it. They're like, hey, I have a YouTube channel. Check it out. For me, it's always been this little weird thing I do. And so I I know the people that I work with aren't going to go getting into tarantulas. So it's going to be an oddity to them. I can see them going, yeah, this is this weirdo teacher I work with. So it's just I, I try to keep it under wraps. But anyway, I was talking to a teacher and the student, was, something came up and they said something about YouTube. And the kid's like, yeah, you know, Mr. Moran has a YouTube channel. And uh She's like, whoa, we know. What does it do? I said, uh, it, it's about tarantulas. You wouldn't be interested, whatever. And she's like, tarantulas. Oh, you have those? And, you know, okay, we've been there before. So I was like, yeah, we have had like 170 of them. And she looked at me like it was crazy. And again, been there before. And then she's like, you know what? If you were my husband, there was no way I would allow those in my house, which my thought in the back of my head was there's no way I would ever be your husband. But eh, you can't really say that. You got to be polite. So I kind of giggled and went, well, my wife is actually fantastic with it and helps me with them. And she kind of shook her head like she was disgusted. And she goes, I don't understand. You have kids, don't you? And you have those animals in your home. So then it quickly turned into a discussion about how they're not deadly. But then I had to admit some of them have, you know, potentially nasty venom. It was just a conversation. You ever have one of those conversations you find yourself in that you're just not in the mood to have that conversation? Well, this was one of those instances. So it turned into a like, no, they're not deadly. I don't care. I wouldn't want those things in my house. They could kill your dogs. They could kill you, you know, that type of thing. Now, a couple days later, I get an email from somebody who is desperate to get some old world species. And he basically posed it to his wife, and she said, "No, it was a hard pass. Nope, you're not getting any of those. They, if they get out, they can hurt us. I don't want me bit. I don't. I believe they have a new uh, infant daughter. The daughter could get bit. The dog could get get bit. A lot of fear around that. And then I spoke to somebody who the spouse won't let them have tarantulas at all. Doesn't even know that. Didn't even know the difference between old world and new world species. So it wasn't coming from the angle of you know what no old worlds." because they could potentially harm somebody. It was just a flat-out hard pass. You're not going to have tarantulas because they could kill somebody in the house. And apparently the missus had read something that had said that some of the species were deadly to humans. So three instances within a week with people talking about how dangerous tarantulas are and the fact that they can't believe we keep them in our houses. And when I started thinking about this, I started thinking about over the years, I've had several instances either through YouTube comments or emails with people making comments like, I don't understand how you could jeopardize your family keeping those things in your home. I know I had one, and it wasn't even the hardcore like venom species like a piece of Etheria. 
I want to say it was a Brocky Pelma video, and somebody came on and said, those could kill you. Um, I have one with Orphanacus philippinus, where somebody came on and went, you're crazy for keeping those. We live, um, they just live with us on the island. They're in, in the Philippines, and we've seen them out, and they are known to be deadly. They kill people. And I have to go, no, they don't. There's never been any, you know, recorded deaths. Or there's been, if I remember correctly, I did a lot of research a while ago. There was like three deaths total that could be attributed to a tarantula bite, but... Two of them, I believe, were gangrene. So that was from the puncture wounds. And it was like in the 1800s. And I believe one of them was an Afonopelma species. And we're all pretty aware that Afonopelma aren't deadly to humans. They don't, they don't pack particularly potent venom. So hearing those, you know, having those instances, thinking back on some of the things before, I thought it'd be a cool topic to kind of cover the fact that, you know, how much of a risk is there keeping tarantulas in your home? So I would, I would kick this off. By starting right off the bat with New World Tarantulas. Now, with New World Tarantulas, there really isn't much of a risk. So, now, when approaching this topic, you have to kind of look at worst-case scenario. Because, in theory, tarantulas are one of the easiest animals in the world to deal with because they're caged all the time. They're in enclosures. If you're keeping your tarantulas right, they are in secure enclosures. So, one thing people can do right off the bat, if there's a fear of it, they have many enclosures out there that have locks on them. I When I first got into the hobby... Billy and I were talking about the different species I wanted to keep, and eventually I'd get into Old World. So one of the things we looked at was lockable enclosures. I looked at some of the acrylic enclosures. I picked some up from Jamie's because they had the hasps, and you could put the locks on them. So everybody just felt safer because the big tarantulas were safely locked away. Because at this point, I had three younger children, one very, a couple very young, and I didn't want I, – I wanted the security of knowing that, God forbid, they went in there and poked around, that they wouldn't be able to get into the cages. Now – one thing you got to think of right off the bat, and I always, I've used this analogy before. We grew up in a home. We grew up on a farm. There were guns in the home. We had shotguns that my, you know, use your imagination on a farm. Shotguns used for getting rid of vermin, you know, whatever. But we always had guns and we treated them like with the utmost respect. Nobody touched my dad's guns. They were where any of the kids could get them. Now, I'm not saying this was back in the day. So people right now that are like horrified that the guns were in reach of the children, please understand this was before, you know. It became a huge deal, but the guns were in the house. We had a healthy respect for them. We knew what they could do. We knew we were not to touch them. There was no, there was never an issue with any myself or my three brothers and sisters that anybody touched those guns. And that's one of the things we kind of build in my house is that the kids are, they respect the animals. They know what they can do. They've seen them. They ask questions. Some of them are very familiar with the pokies. They know the difference between old worlds and new worlds. Even my youngest son will sit there and go, that's a baboon species. And that's that's not a baboon species. That's got hairs. So they know the difference and they know they're not to go in there and touch them under any circumstances. And I'm lucky in that respect. And there's never been an issue. of I've never, knock on wood, none of my kids have ever gone into the tarantula room by themselves and played with anything. However... You almost have to prepare for that's not going to be the case. And for some people, you're going to have inquisitive kids. You're going to have kids that want to go in and check things out. So having things be secure is a big deal. If you have small children and if you have smaller animals, cats are a big one. We did a whole thing on this. And I, I want to point out that somebody brought up using Velcro to Velcro things to the shelf. And I thought that was a great idea. But with cats, cats are more inquisitive than dogs as far as tarantulas and smaller animals are concerned. So dogs... My dogs will come in the room. They don't even seem to register there's anything in those cages. Like literally, I've never had any of them. So they'll kind of sniff the substrate and they'll turn around and walk away. Wherein cats will recognize there's something in there and try to get at it. And that's when you get cats batting things off the shelf, opening enclosures. The cat's at risk. The tarantula's at risk. Not a good situation. So 
right first and foremost if there if you have a fear that these guys are going to be an issue you want to make sure you have a secure place you can keep them someplace where you can lock your enclosures up and maybe it's a bigger maybe if you're doing just a bunch of little slings you have a larger container that you can lock or if you're doing larger specimens you have lockable enclosures and they're up high so kids can't get to them and animals can't get to them and secured so animals can't get to them that would be a big help right there because normally with tarantulas and, and this is what blows people's mind. I think when you say you have a bunch of spiders, they picture like this free-for-all of just spiders everywhere in your house. They don't realize they're all contained in their own cages, and they really don't want to get out. The majority of them will come out. They'll do a little exploring at night, but they stay right by their burrows. It's not even like when I used to have snakes. The snakes would come out. They would explore. They'd push at corners of their cages. They would try to find ways to escape, and if the cages weren't secure, they would escape. Spiders not really an issue unless you have gaping holes in your enclosures. Uh, the biggest issue I've heard, and it's usually with smaller slings, is people making the vent holes too large. Or people get a sling and they find one of those little critter keeper, the tiny critter keeper, micro critter keepers, that look like they'd be great for a one-inch sling or a sling under an inch. But unfortunately, the ventilation slats in the top allow the tarantula to escape. So I've heard of people losing them that way. But overall, if you if you do your homework and you set these guys up correctly, they're going to be very, very secure in those enclosures and there shouldn't be any chance of escape. Now, speaking of escapes, slings. Generally speaking, when slings escape, one or two, one of, you know, three things will say happen. One, they are found eventually. That doesn't seem to happen particularly often, but I've heard, I've been privy to a couple cases where people have said, you know, I don't know what to do. I lost it. And then like three weeks later or months later, hey, I found it. It popped up. Um, the other thing, another thing is they just die. I mean, unfortunately, the house is not set up for them. Sometimes they end in the basement, place where it gets colder. They don't get anything to eat. They don't get anything to drink. They just, they die and you don't ever see them again. And then sometimes they're actually feasted upon by house spiders because they're going to end up in the wrong web or the wrong corner of the house where a spider is already taking residence and they're going to lose that battle with the other spider. So generally speaking, I, I and please somebody, if you have information that contrary to this, please chime in in the comments comment section, but you don't hear about slings escaping and hurting somebody in the family, a pet, a per they're going to hide. They're going to do what slings do, which is hide and stay out of sight. Usually you, you figure they're going to come out at nighttime when the lights go off. I can see the only issue I can see as far as somebody getting injured by a sling is if they hide in somebody's shoe or something, you put your foot in, you get bit that way. I know I keep all my shoes in my tarantula room. And we joke before that if something gets out, I'm in big trouble because we have to go through all those shoes and try to figure out if there's a spider in it. So slings aren't going to be much of a, an issue. With adults, you're a little more likely to catch them out and about. And I've been privy to several stories of people who have had adults escape and they show up like in the corner of a room or somebody sitting there and they see movement out of the corner of their eye. One of them, I believe they found it under a refrigerator. One of them, it was underneath a heater. So adults, a little more likely to get caught. But again, they're going to try to hide. And that works for us especially with the baboon species they're not going to be out going to be out and about during the day when there's a lot of you know hustle and bustle generally speaking they're going to find a spot in your home that they feel secure in maybe do some webbing hide out and maybe come out at night to hunt and that's where a lot of people I, I know the last one I heard was somebody caught one they got up in the middle of the night to use the bathroom turned the light on walked in the hallway and it was in a corner in the hall like just caught out and they, they were able to cup it and get it back in but normally we're not going to be at risk if one escapes. Now, where it would, where I would worry, and as a parent and as a, a pet owner, would be those instances where a you know, the spider gets out and hides in a child's toy box, hides like we said earlier in a shoe somewhere where 
it thinks it's secure, but there's going to be human, you know, interaction with it. That would be something that would worry me. Uh, so I would be, you know, again, being honest, that would be worrisome to me if one was out in the house. With pets, I would worry about them coming down first thing in the morning when the spider's out and being like, oh, what's this? And trying to play with it and getting tagged. That would be an issue. Normally, they're going to hide during the day. They're, you're not going to see them out and about. So it's not going it's, it's going to be those moments where either they hide someplace where, it puts them in harm, a, a human in harm's way of accidentally interacting with it or, you know, sticking your foot in a shoe, sticking your hand in a toy box, whatever it may be, or the pet's coming down and finding them, you know, in the twilight hours or something. Pet goes down to get a drink and they're just out, so happens to be an OBT perched on its bowl. But again, I have to say, when I first started getting into old worlds and I was doing a lot of, I wanted to know the absolute worst thing that could happen. I want, if there was an instance of an old world escaping and killing a pet or killing a person or attacking a child, I needed to know about it. I need to read about it. I need to find out what happened. I needed for my own self-assurance to know that this wasn't going to be, this is something that could be preventable. And I couldn't find anything. I had found instances where pets had been bitten, but it was cases where a cat had knocked something off a shelf and the spider had gotten out and the cat had attacked the spider. But that's about it. With the ones that escaped, there, luckily there's never been one that I found where somebody was like, yeah, my OBT escaped. I found it. It latched on my face at night and bit me. It, it just doesn't seem to happen or it bit my child. So history has taught us, if you go back through, and granted, you got to assume not everything's ever been reported, but it sounds like the chances of getting bit, even if one escapes, is very, very slim to the point where I wasn't able to find any evidence of that ever happening. So the good news is, statistically speaking, it seems very small, but I found 0% any evidence of tarantulas escaping and attacking people. So that's something people should be aware of, because it's not like... If, if the boards were rife with, oh, I went to rehouse my OBT, it escaped, and then it bit my four-year-old, you know, obviously, this is, that would be an issue. That would be something that would deter me, honestly. If I had read a bunch of things like that, it would have been, all right, they escape, and then they end up attacking people, but it's just not what they do. And then let's talk about the fact, all right, so we've already established they're easily contained. If they're kept in enclosures, you know, put in shelves with people and little people and animals can't get to them. Locked if need be. It's, there's a lot of cages out there you can buy that are locking, or even the critter keepers, they're very secure and it's going to be hard for a little kid to get into them. So 99% of the time, they're not going to escape. We've established that if they escape, they generally don't show up to attack your family or your animals, which is good. Now, again, not saying it's not possible. You can't, there's obviously, I can think of scenarios where it would happen, but it just doesn't seem particularly likely. And then let's talk about the fact that the 1% of the time where I would say you could be at risk for escape should be easily preventable, and that's going to be during rehousings. And that's where I think... Honestly, if you're trying to convince a spouse or loved one that you are ready for these, you have to have your rehousings down. I know I've said this a million times before as far as, you know, moving from easier species to the quote unquote expert or whatever you want to call them, the more difficult ones. The rehousings are an integral part of it and you need to be, you know, on point as far as rehousing some of these old world species. Now, I do a lot of videos on rehousings to try to demonstrate that under most circumstances, if everybody stays calm, they're they're rather, I find them rather easy to do under most circumstances because the animal is sadly scared and doesn't want to bolt and you, you get it from point A, point B, everything's good. But 
I will say that there are things you can do if you're not completely secure with it or if it's your first old world to really minimize the chance of the spider getting out anywhere. So one thing a lot of people do are, are the bathroom rehousings or the bathtub rehousings. I don't do them because for me, I, I have to get on my knees, which it kills my knees. I hate kneeling to do this stuff. And I feel too constricted. I like being able to move. I like being able to read the body language of the animal. I like being able to get around the animal when I can. So that's a personal preference for me. And I have tried them in a the bathroom. We did do, we filmed the video. We never posted it where I did one in the bathroom. And it was mostly because I was like swearing the whole time because it was, it just was uncomfortable and I wasn't able to move. And I'm like, this is the last time I'm ever doing this. However, some people love it. And, I'm, and I just want, this is a personal thing for me. So please don't think I'm saying they're wrong. A lot of people do them this way and they have great success. And quite frankly, for people that are afraid of one bolting and getting out in their house, it's safer than what I do, which is in the middle of my dinner table. Because that way, obviously, there are places if the spider, if things got really out of hand, could go and hide. We have curtains around. We have heaters it can hide in. There are places for it to hide. In a bathroom, when you do the bathroom rehousings, the trick is, first off, spray down the tub. Don't go in with a dry tub. They can actually, I know you'll read stuff out there that says they can't climb the fiberglass, that's not true. They can absolutely climb the fiberglass. They just can't climb it as quickly. And if you wet the whole thing down, you take a little bit, like if you have one of those shower sprays, you can take sprayers, you can take down, spray it, wet the whole thing down. It makes it even more difficult for them to climb. So they'll kind of climb up a little bit, slip back down, climb up a little bit, slip back down. And you can usually tire them out and cup them. Now, obviously, if you have an open drain, you want to make sure the drain is completely blocked. If you have little cracks and crevices anywhere, a lot of people will take towels. They'll put them beneath the door so it can't get under the door. They'll put them around sinks. Any place where the tarantula could run and escape, I've seen people actually take plastic and tape it up over, like if you have the baseboard heaters, they tape it over that so it can't get into the heater. It's easier to make sure that in the very least, if the spider bolts, it's going to be contained in that room and easy to locate. And I think that's a very safe way of going about it, quite frankly. And I think a lot of people that do that, they have that extra security knowing, God forbid, and I've said this before, I, I always plan in my rehousings, it's not about getting the spider directly from you know container A into container B. Sometimes I strategically let them get out so I can cup them more easily. And if you're if you're one of those people that likes to kind of get them out of their other enclosure so they don't become defensive, cup them, then using a bathtub is great because you get out in the bathtub and then should the thing try to bolt, it's going to kind of go up the side and go back down, up the side. It's going to give you plenty more time to react to it. So I think bathroom rehousings are an excellent deterrent or excellent preventative measure for having your tarantula get out into your home and get loose. And it's something that you could honestly, you know, if you have a new world, if it's one of those issues where you're trying to convince your spouse to let you get an old world and they're afraid of it, you could see, you know, show them how you rehouse a new world, show them how, you know, look at the spider can't get out, we're safe. And then show them afterwards how now that it's in its new container, look at this container is completely secure. It's, it's lockable. I have a padlock on it. You can have that extra peace of mind to know that your tarantula is not escaping. And this is actually one of the things that when we talk about making the move from, you know, quote unquote, beginner species to quote unquote, intermediate to the advanced species, the biggest, the funniest thing about it is it's really those rehousings. Like I don't, if you keep your tarantula correctly and give it space to burrow if need be or web or, you know, give it for ones that like an OBT, I think the trick is to give it extra depth to its enclosure. You're not going to have many interactions with the tarantula. I used to read, when I got into the hobby, I read all these like stories of people like, oh, my OBT came flying out of the enclosure and this one came flying out and my P. cancerides chased me right out of the enclosure. 
Knock on wood, I've never experienced any of that. I give them some room. I make sure that when I go to feed them, you know, I tap the enclosure. I kind of read the body language, figure out where they're at. I filled water dishes, clean boluses out, never had an issue. I think a lot of that is overblown or people that aren't keeping them correctly. I mean, again, I pointed to the way people used to keep OBTs, which was in the shallow containers as terrestrials. They would web all the way up to the top. You rip the top off. They go berserk. It's because you've just, they're not being aggressive. You just rip the top off their house. They're freaking out. They think you're going to hurt them. So I think that if kept correctly, a lot of these guys, you don't ever have any spots for negative interactions if you play things carefully. So for example, the other day I went to go add some water to, I was making it rain in my Pisolotheria regalis container and I found where she was first. She was originally out on the side of the container. I opened the container. I watched as she calmly skulked away and hid underneath her cork bark and then I went and did maintenance. I pulled the water dish out. I did everything, obviously being careful to keep an eye on where she is, but I had no issues. It's not like she's bolting out. She was trying to get away from the light, getting away from my perceived threat, this big dude, you know, hanging over her enclosure and she was getting out of the way. So I think part of what we need to remember and one of the things like if you're talking to a spouse or a loved one you're trying to get these guys is showing them that under 99% of circumstances that tarantula should not get out. You should not be in danger. If you're doing things, I'll, I'll venture to say if you're doing things correctly, if your tarantula is set up correctly, 99.9% of the time, you're not going to have an issue. If you have a tarantula in a small enclosure and you open the enclosure and every time you open the enclosure, it becomes super defensive, it bolts, then you know what? The it's the responsibility is yours to give it a bigger enclosure, give it more room to hide, give it more possible hides, kind of experiment with things so that your tarantula feels secure. Because secure tarantulas, generally speaking, are not, well, we'll use the aggressive, which I don't believe there are any really aggressive tarantulas out there for the most part, or defensive. You're, you're creating that situation by how you keep it. So I think, and I, uh, I just had this conversation with the keeper about, you know, they're trying to make the move up from, I believe it was C. lividus to L. velocipes, and they're like, are these comparable? And I'm like, yeah, they actually kind of are, because both of them are kept correctly. You're not going to see very often. They're going to kind of burrow. Even my large female L. velocipes, she's about eight inches now or so. She hides most of the time behind her cork bark underneath it. She has a little den underneath it, and I catch her out every so often. And obviously, C. lividus, you'd never see them. They're pet holes. So yeah, they're very similar until you get to the rehousings. And then I said, the biggest difference is I found that the velocipes is a bit quicker and a bit more, in my experience, was a bit more flighty. Where, But some other people might find the velocities went in really well. They're very comparable, though. It all comes down to that rehousing. That's when potential issues are going to happen. So, obviously, let's get back to the main, you know, the main idea of this is the fact that people seem to think they're deadly. And that's because there's a lot of misinformation out there. It's funny because you either see one, one myth or another. There's the myth that their bites are no worse than bee stings, which is obviously bull when you're talking about old world species. And that was one that could have gotten me in trouble years ago when I saw that tie black at the pet, what was in a pet expo and the thing was slapping and I was like, oh, tarantula looks amazing. And, and Billy's like, yeah, but if it bit you, I'm like, ah, oh, it's no worse than a bee sting. Well, that would been a lot worse than the bee sting. So there's that side of it. And then there's the other side where people think they're deadly. And I've talked to many people. They're like, yeah, I'd love to get old worlds, but you know, having something that could potentially kill me and I have to go, nope, back up. It's not going to kill you. So right off the bat, let's get right off the table. They're not deadly. I've, again, I've named three instances after a lot of research and I, and, and i are there more out there? I don't know. I've, I've Last I looked, there were three instances. One was in, I believe, the U.S. in the late 1800s. One of them, I believe, was – which species was it? 
Calciatum, I think it was S. Calciatum bit a child on the back of the neck. And that's just, that's a whole boatload of nasty. And they weren't sure whether it was due to the venom or the gangrene. And then there was another one I thought that was gangrene. Somebody got bit on the hand. But look at how many people keep these. I mean, there are dealers that sell thousands of these a year. And we're not seeing in the news a bunch of people killed by tarantulas. It just doesn't happen. They're not deadly. Now, does that mean we should minimize the fact that a bite from one of these guys would be terrible? No. And we talk about, I've had people email me, and this is a tough question for me, because they'll say, you know what, I really want to get old worlds, but I have a baby. I, I don't want to be morbid, but could an old world bite kill a baby? And you know what, I don't know. And, and it seems like with some of these species, Pisolotheria, the, the aforementioned S. calciatum, it's conceivable that that venom could wreak havoc on a, on a small child and on a, on a baby. Like I would not, that would, bottom line, even if, you know, let's say absolutely would not be fatal, that poor child, when you realize what people go through, they get bit by some of these old world species, that would be an absolute nightmare for the child, an absolute nightmare for the family. I'm sure that at some point, CPS or DCF would be involved because that's a serious issue that especially people on the outside law enforcement, you bring your baby to the hospital, it's an agonizing pain and tell them it was bit by my pet tarantula. That's not going to be a good look for you. So I do think that although they're not lethal, we do, the big but is we do have to keep in our mind that even though they're not lethal, a bite to a small child, a small animal could have serious complications and serious consequences. That can't be overlooked. So for somebody to say, you know what, honey, um, I like, I, I appreciate that you have your tarantula hobby, but I really don't want something like that in my home when we have an infant. I think that's totally responsible and I totally get it. I kind of got slammed a couple of years ago because when my son was, I think it was the OBT and I said something about my son who was young at the time. He was a baby, I think. And somebody made a comment that it was very irresponsible for me to keep him in the house. And it sucks because you start explaining like, listen, I know what I'm doing. I'm not, it's not going to get out. But you realize at the same time, even if that's the case, in theory, by bringing this animal into my home, I've introduced that potential risk. I can tell you right now that my neighbors on this hill that I live on, none of them ever had to worry about their children being bitten by a tarantula. It just doesn't happen because they don't keep them. So I am inheriting some risk by bringing them in the house. But then I have to explain, all right, I know how to care for these things. The, the knock on wood, the chance of escape is so minimal for me that it, it, not saying that I don't recognize something could happen, but in my mind, it's not inevitable. There's not, there doesn't have to be an escape. It's like we've spoken before about people who get into the hobby and say, oh, you know, I know I'm going to get bitten eventually. No, you don't have to get bit eventually. No, you don't have to have an escape. You can minimize it to the point where the animal, like we said, go back to the bathroom method. There should be nowhere the animal can go should it not go from point A to point B. That's important to consider. So, yes, I think, you know, if you're talking to your spouse, if you're explaining it to others and you're being honest and not sugarcoating, yes, by virtue of the fact that we're bringing venomous animals into our home, we do introduce a threat that... 99.999999 whatever percent of the people in the world are probably not going to, well, I, mean, I shouldn't say that because there are probably people that live with actually, you know, where these tarantulas are located and they probably have them in their homes, but most people aren't going to have this issue. So that is something we need to, you know, concede that we are in theory, I wouldn't say, yeah, I know I'm knowingly bringing a threat into my home, but you've got to have that in the back of your mind. But then I think what you need to explain is the fact that they're easily contained. 
they're not lethal. They're basically, if you do things right, the only time you're going to have an issue is during those rehousings. And they should be, you know, that should be something where they don't, if you do it right, they shouldn't get out of whatever room you're doing it. And then make sure they're secure. For people that, again, the locked cages are a godsend. For people that, like, if there's a, a, a spouse that's afraid of having those in there, I can understand that having a sterilite box with a spider that could potentially put you in the hospital probably doesn't, you know, engender those feelings of safety and security. However, a nice acrylic enclosure with locking hasps that you can put little padlocks through and hide the keys that's probably going to help the situation quite a bit. Granted, you're going to pay more money for it, but it's that security. You have the security of knowing that they're locked up, that nobody can get into them, the little kids can't get into them, that, you know, I had actually the, I should share this story. I spoke to somebody who had a party at their house and they had like a tarantula room with some tarantulas in it and some drunk idiot came and let one of them open the cages and tried to poke at one and it got out and didn't tell anybody. So they found out later. So that keeps drunk friends out of the enclosures. But I think... The main, my main message would be with this is that for a keeper who has his or her rehousings down, that has some experience, that feels comfortable working around these animals, they should pose little to no threat to anybody in that home because you've got your rehousings down, you know how to handle them, you have a system in place, you don't panic if something should bolt. Those are all signs that you're ready for this and that there shouldn't be an issue. Now, conversely, if it's somebody that freaks out when something bolts, that, you know, is one of those, and I watched a video the other day where somebody, and I felt terrible because like, can you check out my rehousing video? And basically the spider jumped and they got scared and slammed the enclosure, the top of the enclosure down and caught one of the spider's legs and the person didn't notice it. And I was like, yeah, I don't know if you noticed right there, you caught its legs. You, you have to be a little more calm with that. Oh my gosh, I didn't even notice it. Which again, we've all been in those situations where things start to get out of hand, you kind of freak out. But that would be a person that I would say, you know what, if this is going to happen with one of those, you know, quote unquote, beginner species, you definitely want to wait a while before you get into the old worlds because that could be cataclysmic with an old world. You slam an old world's foot in there and the old world's half out, it's going to tag you, it's going to get out, it's, it's going to be a nightmare. The spider's going to get injured. Just not a good situation all around. So again... I do have to point out, though, is how popular this hobby is, has become, how many people out there, and this would be the biggest thing I would point to as far as like, you can't say a statistic because there's really no number on it, but I think it speaks volumes. How many people are getting these animals? How many people are uninformed getting these animals? How many people uninformed are getting old world species? I've had, I just had a situation where somebody told me they got an old world and they were trying to handle it. And I was like, oh dear, they had no idea about the venom. But we hear no like horror stories about them getting out and hurting anybody, which is kind of amazing, honestly, when I've seen you know some of the stuff I've seen on YouTube with people playing with these things and not showing them respect they deserve. You'd think there would be more instances. But when's the last time? And believe me, this would make the news. This would be the type of sensationalized thing. A spider gets out, kills whole family. My Lord, it would be all over everything. There'd be spider bands. But it hasn't happened despite the... Oh, God, I don't know how big that will say hundreds of thousands. I'm sure there's probably closer to a million, even more of people that are in the tarantula hobby. And the probably the vast percentage of those that weren't prepared early on that ended up getting old worlds. You just don't hear about this stuff happening. I don't think that it's a very realistic scenario overall or we would have heard about it. So that's something to kind of if you're freaking out about it, if you know, if you're feeling scared about it, because I think a lot of us they get into the old world species, this is a little mental, you know, discussion we have with ourselves. Am I ready? Am I putting my I think a lot of us have that doubt at first. Remember when I got my first pokey, it was my pivotata. And I was having moments of doubt, like, 
did I put my family at risk? Is this, am I a terrible father? Am I a terrible husband? Am I a terrible pet owner? Because I'm introducing this risk to my house. And then I got more experience with it and realized, no, I'm not. So I think a lot of us go through that. But just keep in mind that if you've got, you know, if you've got your experience, and I'm not going to speak for people that jump right in the deep end that don't have any experience with them, because I do think that's where there can be more issues and more potential for things to go wrong. But for people that have been doing it for a while, just know there's nothing out there really showing that they're deadly, that they're dangerous, that we're not having those, you know, you go to arachnoboards, try to find something about somebody's getting out and biting them. Granted, I'm sure that if they did, they get totally reamed out by the people of arachnoboards because that would not be good but it just it just doesn't happen very much so that's something to have in the back of your mind that it's not a probable occurrence and then just make sure you're ready for it as far as convincing others again talk about those points easily contained they're not lethal and they can be easily put in places that will keep kids and little pets from getting to them. Those those would be my big sticking points for that argument, just to recap. But again, I think a lot of us, we get into the old worlds. I know, you know, there's certain spiders. I've had several opportunities to get the wandering, a wandering spider. And I've passed every single time because I know where my line is. I've worked with the David Bowies and seen how quickly they can move, seen how easily that could escape. And then when you find out the wandering spider is supposedly, you know, just as fast with deadly venom. Nope. No, thank you. And people, I'm sure people come on. Oh, no, they're not. Nope. I, I know what my limits are. And that's a spider that right now I'm not comfortable getting with my family. You know, it was me living like a hermit somewhere in the middle of nowhere. I'd probably have a bunch of them, but I don't need that kind of pressure as far as working with an animal, but know what your limits are. Know where you're at, and if you feel comfortable enough to get the old worlds, you probably are. And if someone questions you on it, again, just bring up those key talking points. No one can, tarantula venom is not lethal. Get that out of the way. That usually knocks stuff out. And then break down the other points about how easily they're contained, about how there haven't really been any reports of them escaping and hurting everybody. And that should help at least. And then do the juke and jive and try to show them some pretty pictures of tarantulas so they get more caught up in the fact that they're beautiful and less caught up in the fact that most people see them as monsters and assume they can kill you. That would be my next trip. Kind of use a Jedi mind trick to steer them away from that and start getting them more again and kindling that curiosity like, oh yeah, I know, but here's a piece of Letharia Metallica. This one technically has bad venom and then kind of show them some pictures of that and I think you'll see people kind of back down a little bit and get it a little bit more. And I think this is probably not something that's exclusive to the tarantula hobby. I'm sure people that keep other exotic animals get kind of the same thing, especially the larger lizards. I know I got it with when I had the big Burmese python, right? There was a centerpiece of my living room, an albino Burmese, gorgeous animal. And people would come in, aren't you afraid this is going to get out and kill your kid? And it was like such a morbid topic of conversation. So I'd have to get into it. Uh, people who keep venomous snakes, same thing. You're going to have to answer these questions. So it's something you have to, I think you have to be prepared for. Luckily with, you know, tarantulas, we do have a lot of or a lack of reports of people getting hurt to fall back on and say, listen, this just isn't very probable. They're not as dangerous as you may think, or that, you know, the articles or the TV shows that you've seen may make you think they're actually overall fairly laid back animals if kept correctly. So moving on from quote unquote deadly tarantulas or the fact that they're not deadly, uh, talk about a couple breeding projects. And I think I already explained that I bred my Bicabocla, the female webbed out, webbed, did the web, laid the eggs, rolled it up, had an egg sack. I took a picture. I rejoiced. Next day, she had eaten it. 
So unfortunately, that sack's gone, but she did fatten right back up. You know, you eat a whole sack of eggs. It generally fattens you up pretty well. And I fed her a couple more times, so I'm going to pair her again, but this time I did a rehousing. I put her in something. I believe what happened last time was it just wasn't moist enough. And again, I do believe that when you breed and they eat the sack, it's usually them telling you that something, they've detected something that means the conditions aren't right. They're not going to invest, you know, all that time trying to raise a sack if the chances are it's not going to make it. So they're going to wait for another opportunity. So we are going to breed her again. Luckily, my other female just molted as well, and she is now, it looks like, of size to breed. She's comparable to the male, who's a big gangly guy. So hopefully, we can get both of them bred. I've got new enclosure for her, too, so we're going to get her into something better and get those bred because I really want to get some of those on the market. And if they do, what I'm going to do is do a featured species on them, show some of the breeding video, try to get people excited about them picking these guys up because, again, it's one of the Brazilian species. They're tougher to get now because we can't import them because of that whole mess. And it will ensure we can keep them in the hobbies that they don't disappear because I really worry about the U.S. market. We're so dependent on European-produced captive-bred slings that if some of these things start getting shut down as far as importing, they're just going to disappear over here. So stay tuned. I am going to pair them again. I'm hoping to get sacks this time and hoping that the moms keep the sacks. On a better note, I bred my O. philippinus a while back, now like a doofus. I think I mentioned this before as well. When I went to put the date that she laid the sack in my calendar, I put it I don't know where it went. I must have put it on the wrong year or something. I can't find the date. So usually what I do is I pull them after about, pull the sack after about 30 days. I couldn't for the life of me remember when she laid the sack and I was afraid of pulling it too early. So I waited, waited, waited. Finally, we pulled the sack. That poor girl did not want to let go. It was, I did not record it because quite frankly, I hate taking babies away from anything. I hated it back in the day when we had a farm and you take the baby goats away. I hate it when you take the calves, whatever it may be, it bothers me because especially when you see a mother that's fighting to hold onto an egg sack, because in her mind, there's a predator trying to steal my young. So we got it away from her. We opened it up and there are probably over 150 eggs with legs. So they're currently in a little sling incubator on a shelf, nice and, you know, hopefully developing nicely, and hopefully we'll have some first in-star slings of them pretty soon. Now, again, I do not sell slings myself. I have a lot of people asking, please, can I order directly from you? I don't, and I don't mean this to sound like blunt. I don't have the time to do it. Like, bottom line, as far as FedEx shipping, it's going to be incredibly pricey. As far as the, being able to, on a Sunday night, when Sunday I do a lot of my feedings, having to pack up a bunch of slings and get the heat packs and get the, I just don't have the time to do it. I can't do it all. But what I do is try to get them to somebody that can wholesale them for a decent price. And then I tell people they can get them there. And that way you can get my slings. It'll most likely say, raised by, or bred by Tom Moran. You can get those slings and be able to say you have some, but also go shopping and get more for your shipping buck because you're going to pay, A, you're going to pay less for shipping than you would for me. And B, you're going to be able to shop for other spiders as well. So you get more bang for your buck. So that's what we're going to do. And these will be going to fear not because the mail, Tanya sent me the mail a while back. It's her mail. And I'll be sending them all to her. And hopefully she'll be able to sell them to you guys. Maybe we'll do some kind of contest or something to give people a chance to get them for cheaper. We'll do something for folks that are hearing about this either through my podcast or video so they can pick some up. Because I love this species. Obviously, they're one of my trademark species as far as like when I do Tom's Big Spiders, if I use the color orange, there's always an Ophilopinus in the background. So... Hopefully, we'll get those out pretty soon. I'm just waiting for the transformation from sling uh, eggs with legs till first instar slings. Hopefully, it comes soon because I'm kind of I can't wait to see these little guys. I'm really proud of having finally got to breed this species. It's been one of my favorites for years. 
And finally, we had a couple awesome molts this week. Again, I, I have people that will share molt stories with me and be like, oh, this is probably boring to you. Molts will never become boring to me. I love molts. I live for molts. So it's, all, it's even more awesome when you get two in one day of species that you couldn't wait to molt. But my Nandua chromatis molted again, and she's looking amazing. Can't wait to get some pictures of her and her new vibrant skin. I just love that species, and she's putting on quite a bit of size. I'm guessing she's probably close to five and a half inches now, maybe six inches. She's starting to beef up a little bit. And then the other one was my Katamuri parvum. And my C. parvum, my female just molted, put on a lot of size, and I have a mature male, so I'm looking to breed her. Now, this is a cool little dwarf species that I picked up from Fear Not Tarantulas, uh, got about two years ago or so. I ended up with two males, but then got a young female because I really want to breed these guys and get more of them in the hobby. They're just neat little spiders. You can set up such nice little environments for them because they don't take up a lot of size and that's now that my collection's gotten pretty big i'm starting to lean more towards some of the dwarf species because i like to do some of the nice enclosures and obviously a dwarf species is going to require a smaller enclosure overall so i can kind of go all out with it so i'm really excited about this my trick now is to fatten her up and get her ready to breed and then pair her with one of the males and hopefully we'll have some slings of those as well. And again, I'll, I'll do a whole video. I did a video a while back on but I'll try to get... My goal for the breeding is to when I breed something to be able to do one of those featured species videos because, all right, here I've taken it from sling to adult and produce some more slings. I figure that shows I know what I'm doing. And then try to get people excited about them so they'll go out and pick up some and then hopefully share their stories with me and be like, yeah, I guess some of your slings are all grown up or maybe they're going to breed them. So again, to kind of encourage that captive breeding effort in the United States that we desperately need to get going and then finally my h polkerpes female twice i have paired her twice it has been a good pairing twice she has molted out so that one's apparently on me because i'm waiting too long or something i thought for sure she was fattening up last time and i thought for sure i was going to get a sakar came in she had flipped over and molted so i am currently fattening her up the male's still alive and well my buddy charles sent the mail up for me and mail's still doing great so fatten her up we're going to drop that mail back in there and go for it again go for hopefully get a sack this time this time i'm not going to fatten her up too too much i don't want to eat the mail so you the trick is you want to get fat enough that they're not going to immediately munch the mail but then not so fat that they molt out which i've done twice now with her so we'll see how that goes and, and one more actually now i think of it not fine i keep saying finally but my m female the original female i had is fattening up right now and i will be dropping one of the males from the communal in with her to hopefully get a good pairing there and get some babies from her so we'll see how that goes i may have to unfortunately the enclosure i have her in right now which i like and i love the setup is one of the jamie's enclosures but because of the way jamie's enclosures are built that opening for the top only takes up part of the top it's like in the middle so there's two bands on either side of it that kind of leave like a lip and i'm afraid that it's going to be difficult trying to keep her from munching the mail should she try because there's limited room for me to work with my hands in there like if i put both my hands in that opening they kind of take up the whole opening it kind of freaks me out i want more of a open space to be able to do it so i may see about rehousing her into something that i can take the top off and have more room to work for the breeding because i do not want one of my males to go down you know i've had this guy these guys for a while one of the males i think is pushing three and a half years old now it's been molted molted out a year and a half ago it's still kicking so i don't want them to get munched that would stink that's one of the original nine in that communal so i'm going to do everything i can to make sure that the male comes out unscathed so I'll be reporting the results of that. So th that one will probably be a little ways down the road. We'll see how it goes because if I do rehouse her, it's going to be a couple weeks. I've got a bunch to do already, and she's not on the list. So we'll see how that goes. So anyway, 
That will about do it for this one. As always, if you you know like watching videos and stuff, I'm on YouTube, Tom's Big Spiders, and do a lot of YouTube videos. It's like for people that are more visual learners, I think that that helps, or for people that can sit there and veg out to videos for a while. Because again, I think for the podcast folks, and again, I'm realizing this now that I'm starting to get into podcasts, you can just kind of put them on as background noise, and they're fantastic, and you don't have to like have a computer in front of you to watch them, which is great. So. Anyway, anybody interested, I do have my channel, and then I have the website, tomsbigspiders.com, a lot of information on that, and I do have massive, I've currently got a bunch of stuff saved in draft form, but massive updates coming to that one soon. I'm trying to figure out, I unfortunately, I wanted to do a drastic overhaul, and I was considering actually paying somebody to go in and do some stuff to it to make it look a little more professional, because it's just kind of like... I set this up years ago and didn't think anybody was going to see it. But the more I've been reading about it, the more I found out you pro- you can lose some of your traffic that way because things won't connect. So we might just keep that the way it is for now and buff it up and, and you know visit that idea down the road. Because I would like – again, I visit it now and it's just – it looks like somebody's – you know, blog, standard blog. And I'd like to make it look a little more professional for people looking for info. Cause I have a funny feeling some people probably go on and go, what the heck is this? But anyway, down the road. So as always, thanks so much for listening. I truly appreciate it. And we'll catch you guys all next time.